Thank you for listening to the preaching ministry of Oxford Baptist Church with our pastor, Andy Brown. We pray you'll be blessed as you apply these truths to your life. Would you mind taking your Bible this morning and turn to the book of 1 Corinthians? And today we're going to delve into the second chapter of 1 Corinthians. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And I want to talk to you today about expectations. Specifically, the expectations that we who are the people of the cross have. Now what do we know about the cross of Christ? The cross of Christ is the most incredible history-shaping event in the universe. That one event, six hours, one Friday, was started from eternity and will have ramifications into eternity. Eternity hinges on the cross of Jesus Christ. Think about the cross. God, in His infinite wisdom, He has chosen to make Himself known to us by the Son for our salvation hanging on a cross. Nothing is more foolish, nothing is more scandalous, and nothing is more to be desired than the cross of Jesus Christ. Because, you see, in the cross, God has reshaped our warped view of reality with a true view of reality. And this is why, for example, we call the Son the revelation of the Father. The Son reveals the Father. It's through the Son that you and I know God. And think about how scandalous this is, how foolish this may seem, but yet how true it is. The only way for us to know the Son is to know Him as a crucified and risen Savior. The cross changes everything. It reorients a world that's warped and twisted according to itself. There's some who I've heard and I've talked to when we think about expectation. There's some who... They, their certain disposition towards expectation is uh, usually goes something like this. Maybe you've heard it. Maybe you feel it. Maybe you've said before, expectation is the root of all heartache. Some have said something like, no expectations, well, no disappointments. So they're sort of cavalier in the way that they speak. They say, well, you know, I'm not going to try to get my expectations or my hopes too high. That way I won't have too far to fall once I get disappointed. And I really understand the idea maybe that some have behind uh, such a sayings. But living a life without expectation is to go through life numb and meaningless. Matter of fact, there couldn't be a world without expectation because at the heart of expectation is desire... And there is no life without desire. So expectations are inevitable. But our task as people who are formed by the cross, our task as the people of the cross is to conform our expectations with reality. Now think about this. God has given us the true picture of reality. The true picture of reality, the way that we know God is through His Son, and the way that we know the Son is through the cross. And so now, that's reality. There's not another reality. That's reality. The cross of Christ is reality. 
Jesus is the revelation of the Father, and His chief instrument of revelation is the Son hanging on an old rugged cross from me and you. So we who know reality know the cross. We don't have a distorted view of reality or reality that we've dreamed up. We know reality as it is. And reality as it is is God on a cross crucified at the hands of sinful humanity, not just crucified at the hands of sinful humanity, but crucified for sinful humanity. So as believers who are shaped by the cross, as Christians, we have a way to express our desire. And the way that you and I express our desire is a very specific way, a very peculiar way, And one of the ways that you and I, as people shaped by the cross, express our desire is what we are doing right now. We come to church. And let me just say, I am so glad that you're here today. I'm so glad that we're here together. Because we've come to church. We've done something totally outside the bounds of our culture. We've done something exactly countercultural. We have decided to come, put our makeup on, for those of you who wear it, put our deodorant on for everyone who should have it, brush our teeth, and then we put all of our clothes on, nice clothes, and we've come to church, and we're sitting down listening to somebody stand behind a pulpit opening and saying, Thus saith the Lord. It's a very peculiar thing, but we are expressing our expectations right now. By coming to church. There are many crazy ideas about church. But coming to church is about gathering from the world as a congregation of saved, spirit-filled people with expectation. We are those, and what do we expect? We expect to meet with God. We expect that the way that the world currently is now is not the way that the world's going to be. As we come here, we, we express that expectation because we are longing for salvation, the salvation that God has guaranteed and secured from the cross, that salvation to come to the ends of the earth. And all of this expectation that we have is, listen, forged at the foot of the cross. And by the way, I think that that's a glorious vision of church. I don't know, and that's a biblical vision. I don't know if you really knew that's what you're doing as you gather for church, as we're coming and gathering for churches. But this is what we're doing. We, right now, are expressing our desire to be in the presence of God for eternity. Now, I wonder this morning if this is your expectation. Do you desire to come to church and experience the power of of God. According to this section of Scripture in 1 Corinthians, there are three displays of the power of God. Now, if we had more time, we would look at all of them, but we're going to focus this morning. The first is the cross, and that's chapter 1, really beginning in verses 17 all the way through verse 25. The second, then, the display of the power of God is the congregation, the the people of God gathered. That's verse 26 all the way through the end of chapter 1. And then the third is the clergy or the preachers. And I just wanted to say clergy because, hey, at Congregation Cross, it just makes sense to say clergy. So we'll say clergy from chapter 2, from verse 1 all the way to verse 5. That's the cross, the congregation, or the clergy, or the preachers. And think about it. The last two exist because of the power of the cross. And so for our purposes today, I want us to hone in on the preacher. 
Because Oxford Baptist Church, you are in a particular place of evaluation. That's where you are. I was having breakfast the other day with a friend, and he asked me a question. He asked me, what is Oxford going to remember about Andy? At my ordination, I remember Dr. Stanley telling me, Andrew, when you leave a church, you leave a church better than you found it. And then he told me, he said, Andrew, when you're gone, you leave traces behind that people can look and they can say, Andy was here. So in the upcoming days, there's going to be inevitable these types of conversations as the deacons meet, as the personnel team meets, as the search team begins to meet, as you just talk amongst yourselves. There's going to be these types of conversations that are going to be happening. And these types of conversations that are going to be happening are not possible without expectation. And I wonder, I wonder, what on earth do people think about when they think about ministry? Or better yet, not just ministry, but let's get more specific here. Since we're really dealing with the preacher, what do people think when they think of the one who leads the ministry of the church? What do they think about the the preacher? Now listen, everyone's called to serve God. It's not that the preacher's calling is a higher calling. The preacher's calling is just a holier calling calling because of exactly what we deal with. That's all it is. We're all called on the same level. It's not a matter of higher or lower. It's just a matter of of what we do. The preacher's calling is holier. So I wonder what do people think when they think about the one who leads the church? What do they think about the preacher? And here's what I hope this morning. Hopefully, hopefully your expectations are shaped by and centered on the cross of Jesus Christ. Hopefully, your expectations are 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Now, let's read. Let's hear the word of the Lord this morning. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest on the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and we're so grateful that you've given us this moment together to open Your Word and have our hearts aflame by Your Spirit. We pray that right now, as we delve into this text, that You would guide us, that You would show us Your glory and speak to our hearts. And all of God's people said, Amen. Now that passage is glorious. That passage that we just read is wonderful. But before we get too deep into it, we have to deal with a sobering reality right away. The qualities in this list are qualities that are probably not going to show up in the list of the top qualities that a church is looking for in a pastor. This guy's not going to get hired. If this is what's on a resume, he's not going to be asked to come in most churches. But for those of us who take God's Word seriously, and I hope that that's all of us, 
God says that He will turn His face towards us and bless us. So when I was thinking about this passage, I couldn't help but think of what Jesus said about John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 11. I couldn't help but think there. The, the context, if we were to go and have more time, and I'll set it up with you the best I can, but the context is so beautiful in Matthew chapter 11 because it fits perfectly with what Paul is trying to say to the Corinthian church. And remember, from chapter 1, we know what the Corinthian church's problem is. They've lost their focus on the cross of Christ being central. They're talking about Apollos and baptism and all of these other secondary, tertiary things that really are not as significant, nowhere near as significant as Christ and Him crucified. And so they've lost their focus on the cross. And in Matthew chapter 11, John the Baptist is in prison. And in Matthew chapter 11... John sends a message to Jesus asking whether he is the Christ or should they expect another. And Jesus tells him the same thing that Paul is telling the Corinthians. Paul tells the Corinthians, look at the results. And so Jesus tells the same thing that Paul is telling the Corinthians. Look at the results. Listen to Matthew chapter 11. Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel, the good news preached to them. And then Jesus adds this, And blessed is he who is not offended by me. But it's what Jesus says next that really gets our attention. Listen to what he says next. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. And then Jesus says, Yet the one who is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. I love this. Here John is dealing with these expectations. The expectations that he has for Jesus have not been met. And so then Jesus says, hey, look at the results. Jesus says, John, quit concerning yourself with your preconceived notions. Look instead about what God is about. Look instead of what he's doing. He's telling John the same thing that Paul's going to tell another church. Take your thoughts captive and place them under the obedience of Christ. Look at the results. And then Jesus turns it in on the crowd. And says, hey, by the way, don't think that John's the only one struggling with expectations here. What did you expect to see when you went out to see John? What did you expect? Well, let me tell you the way that God declares John the Baptist. He says that among those born among women, there's been not one risen greater than John the Baptist. You know what that does? That settles all our expectations. Not just settles them, it centers them. Because it leaves us with expecting what Jesus declares. And you know, come to think of it, if there was anyone who really knew about expectation, it was Jesus, wasn't it? 
All these expectations that everyone had laid upon his life. But thanks be to God that he came to change the paradigm of expectation. If he would have constrained himself to our warped expectations, he would have never accomplished redemption. John wouldn't have baptized Jesus. His hometown wouldn't have let him preach. His own people paid no attention to him. His own siblings, they didn't believe in him. Peter would have never let Jesus go to the cross. And his disciples wouldn't let him ascend to rule and reign over all things after his resurrection. If he would have lived up to everyone else's expectations. But don't forget who Jesus is. Remember, this is important. We're just not dealing with a figure of history, though we are. We're dealing with someone who has come to reorder history according to himself. Don't forget that. This is God in the flesh we're dealing with. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I'm so glad that John gave us that in John 14. The way, the truth, the life. And this is how he came. He didn't just come standing off from a distance. He came and invaded our history with his pervasive presence. That's what he did. And in that coming, he came to reshape our twisted existence to his perfection. The cross shapes everything. The only way we know reality is through the cross. And through the Holy Spirit inspiring Paul the Apostle, he gives us today this challenge from a church in Corinth. And the challenge that we have today is to shape our expectations in view of the cross. So look at the Bible this morning. Look at the text. Hopefully you have it in front of you. If not, uh, it's, hopefully it either has a battery or a binding, something that's got there in front of you. If not, you've got a neighbor who's nice. Remember, we've already talked about deodorant, so you're clear. School on over to them and uh, sit real close because I want you to look at your text this morning because what I want to do is I want to give you several truths from this passage so that we will make sure that Oxford Baptist Church is a church that centers her expectations on the cross. Number one, you need to test your expectations. Let's go back just for a moment to that idea that some people have. You know, that, that sort of not very encouraging idea that expectation is the root of all heartache. Why would people say that? Such a declaration, you know why they say that? Because it reveals the reality of disappointment. They say that because somewhere along the way they've gotten their hopes up and those hopes have been dashed. There's a rupture between what you want and what you get. Now, if you don't get what you want, disappointment. Disappointment is a fleeting feeling. That's important. Disappointment is a fleeting feeling. Now, that's different from discouragement. Discouragement is when disappointment lingers. Disappointment is inevitable. Discouragement is a choice. Disappointment is inevitable. Discouragement is a choice. I remember hearing that. 
My pastor, Charles Stanley, I remember sitting in his congregation and him saying that from behind the pulpit one time. Disappointment is inevitable. Discouragement is a choice. Now, I know what he meant, but the question that we want to say, and maybe some of you have already asked, is it true? Is discouragement a choice? How on earth, and if it is a choice, how on earth can you make the choice to not be discouraged? Here's the solution. Test your expectations. What if there were a way this morning for you to be untouchable? What if there were a way for you to face any situation with certainty? If you want to do so, consider the cross. The cross, listen, this is so important. The cross is the paradigm by which we know God. That's what it is. It's not just something that we hang in our baptistries, in our churches, on our walls. What we say when we put this wooden cross on whatever, or this gold cross wherever, what we're saying is now that the cross of Jesus has been accomplished, God is reshaping everything that we know by the cross. This is the reason, beloved, that when Jesus is seen in His resurrected body, He's not bloodied, He's not beaten, but He still has the marks of crucifixion. Why is that? Because He has, by the cross, reshapen reality according to Himself. The cross of Christ takes everything that we know and reshapes it. As 1 Corinthians one twenty five says, the cross is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Look at verse 1. Paul said in chapter 1, in verse 2, I think it is, that he is coming as one who has been sent. So look at what he says in chapter 2, in verse 1. Paul says that my coming was as a sent one, as an apostolos. He says his coming to them is in itself a demonstration of the power and the wisdom of God on a cross. Paul says, and I love this, this is so encouraging for me as a preacher. Paul is saying, hey, the only way that I'm going to have to have a hearing from you is this got to be the wisdom of God. Otherwise, why on earth would I come? Why wouldn't God just send an angel? Why wouldn't He do all of these things? You know, in Revelation, we see the angels declaring from the heavens the, the counsel of God and people not listening to them. Uh, but Paul says, the fact that I came, look at my preaching. Yeah, you know what it is? If it has any result, it's not on account of my preaching. It's on account of the power of God on display. Paul coming to preach Christ in this way shouldn't have disappointed the Corinthians, but it did. And the reason that it did is because they were trying to see a world without the cross. They were having all of their expectations gathered and assumed outside the reality of the cross. The Corinthians, what they were doing is they were building their expectations on a system of the world that had failed. You say, how do you know that it failed? Here's the reason that it failed. They crucified Jesus. What was the expectation that they had after they crucified Jesus? What did Caesar want from Jesus? To get out of the grave or to stay dead? What did the Sanhedrin want? What did the Pharisees want? They expected Jesus to stay dead. But guess what happened? Jesus came back to life. He 
shattered the expectations that people had for him. Just like he'd been doing it his whole life. And I love this. Then he comes back to life and he's walking down the road on the road to Emmaus. And he's like, didn't you read your Bibles? How did you miss this? It's right here. Because the Old Testament always preaches Jesus, always presents Jesus as the crucified, risen, ascended, coming again Savior. And that's beyond what we have to do today. Maybe we'll get to do it another time. But the point is, is that the Corinthians, what they were doing is they were building their expectations on a failed, on a failed system of the world. And that's why they were disappointed. And Paul's saying, hey, you don't have to be disappointed. Now, let's just be honest this morning. Nothing will rub us more raw, especially in our age, than someone telling you, like what I've just told you, to test your expectations. Nothing is going to rub us raw because we live in a postmodern society where truth is relative, where truth is just my truth, whatever truth is, I want it to be, that's what it is. Nothing will rub us raw than someone else telling you that you're not the center of the universe. That's exactly what Christ has come to do. And listen, even with our best intentions, we can get it wrong. Yes, I delight in telling people often when we're Uh, in Bible study together. Just because you think the Bible says it, that doesn't settle it. Does it really say what you think it says? And this is the challenge for us. You know, when we're, we're sitting in Sunday school classes or we're in a Bible study, well, it says this to me. Well, bless God, it does. But does that mean that that's what it means? We have to test our expectations because even with the best of intentions, you and I, as beloved people, we can get it wrong. I hope right now that you're testing everything that I say under the authority of the Word. Because listen, here's the truth. God has not promised to bless my words. He's already blessed His Word. So this is a challenge for us this morning as we consider it ourselves and our church. What is it that you and I expect from a church? What are our expectations of a Christian preacher? Lofty speech, eloquence, good looks, a nice speaking voice. When we come to church, do we expect nice facilities? Music just the way we like it? Decorations and colors all to suit our fancy? Listen, listen, and don't miss this. Or do we gather To proclaim the message of God, which is Christ crucified. Now see, this message is challenging for us because you and I, we've all are creatures of habit and we've become accustomed to things just the way we like them. The challenge for us is to never neglect, but to always keep it in our center, what it is that we're all about. Or better yet, who it is that we're all about. A crucified, risen, ascended Coming again, Savior. Now, let's be honest. Scripture isn't saying here that the preacher can't have lofty speech, that he doesn't need to have eloquence, that he doesn't need to lick his best or do his best or be his best. Or it's not saying that the church shouldn't take care of their facilities and all the rest. What the text is challenging us with is of all those things are to be counted as loss and secondary compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ.
The danger is losing Christ at the expense of all of those insignificant things. And that's what we always have to guard against. I remember heading to Haiti shortly after the earthquake in 2010. And that was a very formative time in my life where I was in a dangerous place and I really didn't know it. From 2010, I came from an awesome church. We had an amazing preacher. We had awesome facilities. We had more money than we knew what to do with. It was one of the most forming times in my life, theologically and the rest. Learned to pray, learned to read my Bible, learned what to expect in a preacher. All of these things, it was one of the most forming times in my life, but it could have been one of the most dangerous. The reason that it could have been the most dangerous was because of the false expectations that could have been built in my mind. I went from serving in a church that had 5,000 on a Sunday with a multi-million dollar budget to pastoring a church back in the woods of North Carolina that had 45 on a good Sunday with a worship center that would only hold 90 comfortably. Went from having an office in the church that I was at to having a portable office with the, the wheels had, had uh, tennis balls on the bottom of them so I could push the desk around. For much of my time, when I was there, I wondered, God, what on earth are you doing having me here? And then I went to Haiti. Now, if you don't know anything about Haiti, let me tell you. Haiti is the most impoverished country in the Western Hemisphere. It's the closest one to us. I go to Haiti, and I watch 75 pastors travel across the dangerous mountain roads to receive just a weekend of training. Now, in 2010, I was in seminary. I was in my training, too. But my situation was much different. I had my tuition paid. Matter of fact, I had my Haiti trip all paid for. Even better than that, I was getting school credit for being down there with my time and with the pastor's. But for some of those pastors, traveling over those mountain roads was them risking their lives to be with us for one weekend. I traveled with those pastors back across the mountains of Haiti in a bus. We crammed in and we dropped them off sections at a time. And on one of the stops, we got to visit a church that one of the pastors serves. It was a plaster building. It was painted an aqua blue. The plaster was cracking. The building needed painting. The roof leaked. The floor was dirt. There were puddles that had gathered on the floor because of the roof that was leaking. The pews were wooden, sort of prickly and uncomfortable. There was no electricity. There was no sound system. There was no air condition. But you know what was there? There was a preacher who had little to no education. He wasn't wealthy. He didn't have the best facilities. But he preached Christ crucified. You know what else was there? There was a congregation that gathered in that place 
who when they gathered, they placed their hope in nothing less than Jesus' blood and His righteousness. Most of the things that we have come to expect and demand, I'm convinced are worthless. There's one thing worth more than anything in the world that you and I should demand, that you and I should expect, and that is Christ crucified. The wisdom and the power of God. So test your expectations. If your expectations, and this is real simple, if your expectations are not centered on the cross, then you have nothing in this world to look forward to and expect except every disappointment. Because Christ crucified is reality. And that brings us to our next point this morning. If I'm telling you that you need to test your expectations, then you need to know what to expect. Number two this morning, expect what God demands. Now, we're just going to walk through the text very quickly because there are four things that God demands. Let me show them to you from the text. The first thing that God demands is His message. Look at verse 1. There's an important distinction that I want to draw out. It's subtle, but I don't want you to miss it. See that word testimony? I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Maybe yours says witness or something else. That word testimony, that word is the word that we get our English word martyr from. Now, a martyr is someone who literally bears witness and gives a testimony. But notice the way our Bible reads. The testimony of God. Now that's important. This is what I want to draw out. It's the testimony of God, not the testimony about God. It's God's testimony. Now Paul made it his ambition to proclaim Jesus, not proclaim about Jesus. You say, what's the difference? The difference is that, that one has the power to save And the other is nothing more than just mere talk. The devils can get up and talk about Jesus, but they're not going to proclaim Jesus. This is the reason why Debbie read beautifully in just a moment ago from the prophet Jeremiah, where God comes to the prophet Jeremiah and says, Say to those prophets who use their own mouth to preach. In other words, God's saying, These prophets, they've used their mouth instead of using me. Because they're preaching a message that they've come up with instead of God's message. And God's message is Christ. He is the Word of the Father. Hebrews says that God has spoken by the Son. Paul preaches Christ because Christ is the Gospel. And the Gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The difference between proclaiming God's message and proclaiming a message about God is in the effect. One saves, the other does you no good. And only God's testimony saves, and God's testimony is His Son. God demands His message to be claimed, and secondly this morning, God demands that we trust the power of the cross. Look at verse 2. Paul decides to know nothing except Christ and Him crucified. What does this mean? 
Well, it can't mean that Paul wasn't skilled at using whatever means necessary to reach people. All you have to do is read of his tactics in the book of Acts, especially when he was in Athens to see just how prepared and how Paul knew the culture that he was in. And he spoke words of wisdom to the culture to proclaim Christ. So what this means is Paul knows that the power rests not in the one proclaiming, but the power rests in the one who's being proclaimed. The power is not in his skill, but the power is in the power of the cross. And so if he has lofty speech or wisdom, it isn't for the sake so that people can look at him. It's so that when after he preaches, people can leave and they can say, not what a great preacher, but they can say, what an an awesome God we serve. Let's keep going. And I love where we go next. Look at verse 4. Look at the vulnerability that Paul demonstrates here. It's the same kind of vulnerability that he shared elsewhere when he calls himself a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he will tell the Corinthians later that for Christ's sake he delights in his weakness. This is also why a famous guy like John the Baptist could say, I must decrease, he must increase. Why? Because the cross has broken these men. So that in breaking them, it can put them back together again. The third thing that God demands is that God demands the gospel have deep effect in our lives. Just as it's not a message about God, just as it's not anything other than the gospel having a deep effect on me and you. Not just knowing about Jesus, listen church, but knowing Jesus Himself. So Paul says that he was with them in fear and trembling and weakness. Do you see that? Fear, weakness, fear, and trembling. And that word fear and trembling is a word pair that's used in the Old Testament several times to describe someone after they have seen or after they have experienced God. And Paul comes to these Corinthians fearing and trembling at the grace of God, not fearing or trembling at because of man. Here is a man who is moved by the call of God on his life, and he takes it seriously. He will tell the Corinthians later that he bears the pressure of his care for the churches on a daily basis. Paul knows that he is nobody telling everybody about the greatest somebody. Paul knows that he is preaching well above where he's living Paul knows that he is a man who's preaching a message greater than anything that any wisdom could even afford him to articulate anyway. So why would he even trust in the wisdom of the world? All while knowing that one day Paul must give an account for the souls that he shepherds. And no wonder he says he's with them with fear, weakness, and trembling. Wouldn't you be? And very quickly, I want to point something out to you. Because this is very important. And this all four of these, we could spend eight weeks, but, well, we can't do it. And if we miss this next point, listen, listen, we miss God entirely. God demands not only the gospel to have deep effect, 
Not only that we trust in the power of the cross, not only His message, but He also demands there to be Trinitarian redemption. Trinitarian redemption. Now, this is important. Because if you miss this, you miss who God is. God is Trinity. He is triune. What does this mean? It means that He has eternally existed as Father, Son, and Spirit. Listen to me carefully because some of you don't think that this is serious, but I want to be real serious. If you deny this, you deny redemption because there is redemption in no one else other than Jesus Christ. And who is Jesus? He is the Son of the Eternal Father, the one who sent the Spirit. That's who He is. If you don't worship that Jesus, then you don't worship the Jesus of the Bible. What you've done, if you neglect the You've erected a God in your own mind and you have forfeited redemption. Look at the text. It's the testimony of the Father, verse 1. He decided to know nothing except Jesus Christ, the Son, crucified in verse 2. And then in verse 4, Amazingly, as he's talking about Christian proclamation, amazingly, it's the first mention of the Holy Spirit in the entire letter. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You know who that is? That's our God of redemption. The Father sent the Son to accomplish salvation. The Spirit applies the salvation secured by the Son, Trinitarian redemption with the cross at its center. And if you're going to center your expectations on the cross, then you must test your expectations, expect what God expects, and finally rest confidently in the power of God. It's only after you've done the first two that you get to point three. Rest confidently in the power of God. Listen to me, church. Listen. Nothing will free your soul like the power of the cross. The cross focuses our attention not on who we are or what we can do, but on what the eternal God has done for us. And let me just be plain with you this morning. If you are the center of your redemption, then there's no reason for you to have any confidence. But if the eternal God is at the center, you have every reason imaginable to be confident. What's Paul say? He says, so that in verse 5, your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. You know why Paul never wants the Corinthians to focus on him? It's never about him. It was never about Paul. How on earth could it be? When the whole purpose of Paul's life is to preach a Christ who is crucified, how could it be about Paul? When there's a Christ who's crucified in the picture. I like what Charles H. Spurgeon used to say when he would preach. He said, I did not come into this pulpit hoping that perhaps someone of his own free will returned to Christ. My hope lies in another quarter. 
I hope that my master will lay hold of some of them and say, You are mine and you shall be mine. I claim you for myself. My hope arises, listen, from the freeness of sovereign grace, not from the freedom of the will. Now, is Spurgeon denying the freedom of the will? Certainly not. What's he doing? He's putting it in the proper perspective. And what's the proper perspective? Oh, don't focus on yourself. Focus on the God who has sent His Son to be crucified for your redemption. Oxford, our faith is founded on the finished work of God on our behalf. Nothing less. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and His righteousness. You see, Jesus paid it all, all to Him we owe. We, listen, we expect nothing more than Jesus because by us expecting Jesus, we expect it all. And God has given us it all through Him giving us the Son for our salvation. Oh, Father, thank you so much for giving us Jesus. Thank you for giving us Jesus on a cross, crucified not just at the hands of sinful men, but for the hands of those sinful men, so that you and your infiniteness could demonstrate your infinite power and your infinite wisdom, and so that you could save sinners. And Father, our heart now turns to that moment. Perhaps there's one here today, maybe there's more, who they know that they're not a believer. They know that they don't have redemption because they're not trusting in the God of their salvation. They're trusting in this or that or they're looking at, man, I come here, I go there, I give this, I'm nice to this one, I try to live my best. None of that matters. Because if they could live their way into heaven, then there was no reason for Jesus to die. So, Father... If there's one here today who you need to arrest them today and let them know that they're trusting in their selves, let them know that they have no assurance. And right now in the stillness and quietness of their heart, would they cry out to you and say, Lord, I surrender to you. Save me. And Lord, if they'll do that, then you will save them. If they will cry out to you, Any who come to you, you will not cast out. Save them even now, Father. Father, for anyone else here today who knows you, may we test our expectations and not live a life of discouragement and disappointment, but may we not have the cross left of sinner or right of sinner, but may we live with the cross dead sinner. Help us to move a little closer even to that today. However you lead in our hearts, Father, may today we leave different than when we came in. We trust you for the results in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. We pray God will use this message for His glory in your life. If you would like more information, please feel free to contact us at info at OxfordBaptistChurch.com. Oxford Baptist Church is located in Oxford, Georgia. If you're close, we'd love to meet you.